0: This is CUNY TV, the City University of New York. City University Television presents The American Theatre Wing Seminars working in the theatre. This seminar, performance.
1: the American Theatre Wing seminars on working in the theater these seminars are coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York located 42nd Street the heart of Times Square this is where the theater is this is where it all comes together where Broadway off-Broadway and off -Off off-Broadway meet where it goes out all over the country and that which is good goes out across the country And that which is good across the country comes back into Broadway so we all feed each other and these seminars are just one of a part of the American Theatre Wings year-round programs the American Theatre Wing speaks for continuity in the theater it is perhaps the longest-running service organization in America and it's best known for its Tony Awards however that's a carrot and a thing apart it has a respect and the loyalty that enables us to provide services such as these seminars, enables us to call upon the talents and the experience of the hundreds and hundreds of people that have come to the seminars and have shared not only their talents but their experiences but their time with people so that the theater will be a better place A theater of not only magic, but of quality and experience. And I think that's terribly important. The virtual who's who in the theater start with A to Z and name it. From playwrights to producers to directors and to critics and to performers. Uh, You know, the whole thing meshes in the American theater wing. the the loyalty and the services met. Bernard Hughes who is on our panel today uh, met his very talented wife Helen Stenberg at a Veterans Hospital performance that was being given by the American Theatre Wing. And hospital shows are another one of the year-round performances and services that we do. That as well as Saturday Theatre for Children. I think Saturday Theatre for Children could be the answer to what's going to happen to the theatre. By bringing live professional theatre into public schools, to the elementary public schools, children at the lowest, youngest age, who make a commitment on Saturday mornings to buy a ticket, and they line up and they say I'm going to take my money and I am going to see a show, a live show. and by doing that, they are performing a habit of going to the theater as a weekly, every day kind of experience. The theater is not just a big social event, saved for an anniversary or a birthday. The theater has to be part of you, and I think that's what all these seminars, the American Theater Wing, our hospital shows, our Saturday Theater for Children shows are, part of you and part of the network of theater. I would like now to introduce our co-moderators, Jean Dalrymple, who is author, producer, uh, performer, and I'm proud to say a member of the board of directors of the American Theater Wing. And her co-moderator is Brendan Gill, who is a critic, a wise, worldly, witty man, on the New Yorker magazine, and also a member of the board of the American Theatre Wing. I'm Isabel Stevenson. I'm president of the American Theatre Wing. And welcome, and immediately I'm going to turn this over to our panelists, to our co-moderators, who will introduce the panelists for you. And we will be on with what I hope and I know will be a wonderful seminar again on working in the theater.
2: At uh, my far right is Judd Hirsch, who has a brand new car that has just lost its transmission. <laughs> if uh, any of you out there have a transmission, uh, Andy, he, he's your man. Uh, next, uh, Judd is uh, to talk about him in the past. Everybody has seen him in one thing or the other, but among his things on stage Barefoot in the Park, Scuba Duba, which is a, remains in my memory as a marvelous apparition. Uh, The uh, Hotel Baltimore, Chapter 2, Tally's Folly, which which he got a Tony nomination, and I'm not Rappaport, also much work in television and um, in film. And next to Judd is Elizabeth McGovern, uh, who's uh, appeared on Dwarf Man, Master of a Million Shapes, My Sister in This House, Painting Churches, Major Barbara, A Map of the World, has also made uh, films Ordinary People, Ragtime for got an Academy Award, Lovesick, Racing with the Moon, Once Upon a Time, in America. And to my direct right, this fashion plate. uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, The the best dressed person here, plainly, uh, is Don Correa, who on stage has been in the chorus line. Oklahoma, a little me, sophisticated ladies, my one and only, and uh, that strenuous leading part in singing uh, In the Rain. And now, Gene? at your side
3: of our stage. <laughs> Way down there on my left, <laughs> almost out there with you, <clears throat> is a charming man named Vinny Lif. I asked if his name was Vincent. He said, but I'm better known as Vinny, So we call him Vinny." He's a casting director. And according to this card, he and his partner, Jeffrey Johnson, have been responsible for all the wonderful casts in the, the, the current song and dance, The Rink, a couple of seasons ago, Night Mother, Wonderful Dream Girls, Grease, Cats, Still Running, Seven Years Old, Ain't Misbehavin', The Elephant Man, and Amadeus. And of course, they've done all kinds of films. Just wonderful. Congratulations on your on your casting <coughs> office. Uh, and next to him is uh, Derek Levon Little. I've been a fan of his for many, many years. I remember him, first in Pearlie for which he uh, received the Tony Award, the American Theater Wing Tony and since then he's been in all over town on the Emperor Jones and right now he's perfectly wonderful in I'm not Rappaport with Judge Hirsch. They, they play these two old men and when you look at them now you'll never believe it when you see it. <laughs> um, and of course he's been in films and television like everybody <laughs> Thank goodness, that's where they make the money where they can afford to be here. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, <clears throat> then there's that wonderful Tova to you. She is marvelous. <clears throat> I saw her first in Yentl, for which she received the American Theatre Wing Tony nomination. And uh, <clears throat> she was in also Springtime for Henry and Rogers and Hart, which I didn't see, and Cyrano, which I wish you had se- I had seen. And there I go, you know, every time I'm on this I lose my voice. (coughs) And she's been in in Holocaust, which I saw and thought was wonderful. And then here is Bernard Hughes, he needs no introduction, we all know and love Bernard Hughes.
4: I'd like to hear
5: it. (laughs) Understands <laughs> <Yes. laughs> you can speak well.
3: Yeah, <laughs> but anyway, uh, uh, I saw him first in Hogan's Goat, mm. and he was perfectly wonderful. And it was at the East Seventy Fourth Street Playhouse. Uh, <clears throat> that was quite a long time ago. And then he was in Much Ado About Nothing, uh, for which he received a, a, a Tony Award. <clears throat> Does this help? Yes. <clears throat> Um, and all over town and then Da of course for which he received the American Theatre Wing Tony Award. Uh, Angels Fall and right now he's perfectly wonderful in The Iceman Cometh and he's been in a lot of films too and since he likes to hear them. (laughs) 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 Midnight Cowboy, The Hospital, Maxie. Maxie by the way is great, oh great fun I love that and in television he's been in Doc, Mr. Merlin, Lou Grant, You know. He had an Emmy (laughs) Award for Lou Grant. I know he wants to hear that, too. (laughs) And here is a sort of newcomer to New York, although she's a New Yorker, Glenn Headley. She was seven years in Chicago, and uh, she was five years with the wonderful Steppenwolf uh, Theater Ensemble. I'm sure you've all heard of that marvelous, really training theater. They've turned out some of the finest performers that have come to New York. And uh, there she, uh, uh, I guess she did these out there, Say Goodnight, Gracie, The Miss Firecracker Contest, Extremities, The Philanthropist, Balm and Gilead. Did you do that in New York? Mm-hmm. You, were, you were great. <laughs> 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 and uh, then recently she did Arms and the Man at Circle in the Square. And she was just adorable in the leading part. And in film she's been in the Purple Rose of Cairo which I suppose you all saw, the Woody Allen film, and Alini, and in television, Seize the Day. I I welcome you to New York (laughs) Theatre. Thank
2: you. You see, what's gone and happened is that uh, we're not very quick studies, uh, Gene and I. We have to to read all this material, which we ought to be able to say as if we were improvising it. And I mentioned that just before... Uh, Isabel began to speak with Don and, and I said if I don't know something I always improvise, I always make up a lie or something will carry me <laughs> to the next point. And Don said that he had to uh, improvise the other night right in the middle of, of the show and I think that's a perfect anecdote uh, to begin uh, to understand something about theater, the, the raw naked courage of collapsing
6: in <laughs> your memory. So tell that story of what happened. Uh, I was on stage uh, it's during the trolley scene, uh, I go farewell. Uh, fear not, sweet lady. I will not molest you. I am but a humble jester. Who, uh, I am but a humble jester, and you—you you are too far above me. And for some reason, uh, I went. Fear not, sweet lady. I will not molest you. I am but a humble player who struts and frets his hours. <laughs> <and> <laughs> for some reason, I just just went up. All of a sudden. <laughs> the- the the, uh, the company was very impressed, but I, I, I wasn't. I've never been in a store. Mary D'Arcy, who does uh, the uh, Kathy Selden, Debbie Reynolds role, just was looking at me like this. <laughs> but uh, there's nothing you can do. I mean, thank God it it, it worked. I mean it. Worked. <laughs> <laughs> and the cue came. The next cue. The, the next cue. Uh, the, next cue uh, the stage manager forgot to call. She was frantically looking <laughs> through the <laughs> <me>. pages. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, that happens. That happens a lot. That's what's so much fun about live theater. No, it is. I mean, know you, know, you never know is when going to show yeah. up. Or well,
2: that ever happened to you? What have you done in that line?
4: No, nothing comes to mind at the moment.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, <laughs> <I'm, I'm>, <laughs> never no, Never happened at, at all. He buried it. He
7: buried it. Yeah. I have a good one, Brendan. The I was doing Peter Pan up in Boston, and it's the end of Act One. I'm flying, and uh, you know Peter. Peter, that I believe goes from the bed to the mantle, except my flying apparatus got stuck in high gear. So I go first, you go up, and then you go down. Well, maybe you don't go down. <laughs> I guess that's why they call it Neverland. And I couldn't get down. They finally, they finally, the, the eventually, I just went through the whole number, and they and they uh, closed the curtain, and then the the uh, prop men got up on the ladder and unhooked me yeah. and messed with, the, uh-huh. messed with the wires before the would But the audience must have delighted. They were
8: thrilled yes. to be. Yes. Yes. They, they were made just made to, to death. Yes. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I want set the stage on fire. Literally. <laughs> no, not a bad I was supposed to light candles on a birthday cake, and the cake was on a bed. And I was, you know, doing my lines, doing all my acting. <laughs> and, I, and I lit all the candles, and I went, and I, and I, you know, threw the match away, and I proceeded with the scene. And suddenly from the back of the audience, I heard this sound, which sounded like... Ah, ah, and i just sort of thought it was somebody you know reacting to the whatever was going on on stage which it was in fact but not to what i thought they were reacting to and finally i realized that there was a a, sort of a faction that was saying fire and i and i looked around and i literally went because there were flames like this from from the (laughs) bedclothes at that point i was so sort of enthusiastic and (laughs) <laughs> I mean those are the dates right and i and I went over and i didn 't break character that was i just I, I sort of kept talking as though nothing was happening, and I took the bed sheet and I sort of <laughs> I sort of went like this trying to pat it out oh my and goodness. I actually did get the fire out and and I sort of went on and, and still kept going because I had a lot of lines to say, <laughs> and then about five minutes later, about. 10 stagehands with these gas masks with <laughs> funnels coming out started pumping this chemical dust <laughs> all over the stage so that for the rest of the play every time anybody sat down on a piece of furniture <laughs> the chemical dust would <laughs> everybody was coughing for the
4: rest of the- do you want one more I just- yes. <laughs> yes. In, a, in, a, in a play called the laughing lantern i was a, an eccentric country rube kind of character and it took place in the middle uh, there was, was a murder committed. I was murdered, and uh, I was brought up on the mill wheel, and uh, uh, of course everybody ran over and grabbed me and took me off the mill wheel. You know, uh, there I was dead. Well, I, the artist that I am, thought I'd come up with my eyes open, uh, you know, and of course I was sent on about five minutes too soon on the wheel, and, uh, and the other actors would come out and see. Get <laughs> and there I was on the thing. So uh, I was on literally for about five minutes before my queue, and suddenly all these people who had been staring at me for five minutes turned around and said, dance, and ran over and <laughs> grabbed me and took me down. A night that you 'll live in infamy. <laughs>
1: Chief, I think this is a good place to find out how they came to be able to cope with this and didn't freeze and went on with their
2: lines. You yeah. I mean, they Plainly, yeah, the ones who so don't cope are yeah. not on stage for very no, long. No,
5: exactly. Well, you know, we've heard of people stopping shows and doing that too. Yeah. Yes, sure. I know a few famous ones. <laughs>
9: yeah, right. Halfway
5: through a show, I believe it was at the American Place Theater called um, Yang's Three Detroit Nothing, the started found out that he was in the wrong place halfway through the show and he couldn't get back. No way. And, and, he, and he realized that the end of the show would never come.
3: <laughs> oh, my God. He'd Lord. gone
5: so far in the middle that he couldn't, it was about pitching and. He'd learned to pitch right-handed and left-handed, and he just said to the audience, I'm afraid we're going to have to do this one again. We started the whole show over again. <laughs> there were about an hour or something. You know, I don't think he asked, may we. You know? But I think, more, I think in the theater, more things happen almost every day. I bet you, I bet you if you just went up Broadway or, or, or off Broadway, somebody could tell you what happened last night. I've never been in a show where something didn't happen. I don't know. I, I think right. that, thank God, it, it did. So uh, we got the something little experience. It's always frightening. Everything happened to me. Everything in the world. Isabel From forgetting to lines know. to forgetting <laughs> what to do next. to people not coming in. I was in a show with, with Cleavon called Scuba Duba, <clears throat> which I took over for the, for the star. Ex, 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 except very early in the run, he got laryngitis. So I had to go on for five shows. Never rehearsed, only watched. And the first night was great. I remember we came in, we had a run through, I said, don't anybody remember anything, just let's race through this thing just to see if I can get through it. I did that, and the play was, in a way, you know, um, uh, I remember what I said the first moment, at the first line of the play was, oh, I needed this, I really needed this, meaning that he was hearing some piano playing going off. He was a guy who was, who was a little bit nervous because his wife was gone. So he got came in and they, they announced tonight the part of Harold Wonder usually played by Jerry Orbach will be played by Judd Hirsch and the entire audience went <laughs> They made sound like a person was coming on was a, We're gonna send on a mechanical being called Judd Hirsch and I, I remember I came out the, the curtain went up they always said these things just before the curtain I was the first one on stage and I said oh I needed this I, uh, I was home free I was home free after that. Nobody worried that I wasn't Jerry Orbach. And then comes the next night, the usual second night, the wonderful second night, in which I hit one word which was exactly like another word three pages later. So I said something, she said something, and I answered the three-page-later one. In which... 12 people waiting backstage in disrepair. None of them were ready to come on. This one. The landlady came on with her hair. They all gave me this wonderful look of, you got us with our pants down, didn't you? <laughs> they all put on that this was their costume. You know, This was their state of being.
3: <laughs> Judd, I've been trying to say that Isabel wants to know your training that made you able to cope with this situation.
1: Because that is that is a professionalism. Yeah, no, profession. but you have yeah. to breach. in the you,
3: you I Hopefully, the hopefully something. it yes. happens to you yeah. in stock.
5: Yeah. yeah. Hopefully, one thing happened to me in stock. I don't think you prepared me for anything. All I knew is that you had to make up something. Uh, you know, at stock sometimes they have these bad scenery mechanical mechanical things that they don't build the scenery well. Well, they built these of bookends. They would stand there by themselves. And the wall in the uh, three, in three men on a horse was falling. And I get this, since the stage manager was out front, he said, John, when you go on, don't make any mention of anything. Don't bring attention to anything but fix the stage left wall. <laughs> So I, I said, well, I, I don't know what to do. I, my, my lines are to the guy in the bar on stage right, you know. He said, fix it. <laughs> that was the last thing I heard. So I came out, I looked at the guy and said, hey, how are you, Sammy Sam? Ever since the renovation in this place, I'm tell- I just fixed the wall. <laughs> but if you did, I mean, nobody would have, would have enjoyed you walking over and, you know, fixing a, a set.
1: You have yeah, to do something.
5: That is part of my question. Uh, I, think re- yeah, you, well, yeah. I think part of it has to
0: do with the training. Uh, I've always hated classes uh, ever since I was in college. I've hated taking cl- action classes, and I couldn't quite figure out the benefit. And part of that training has to do with exercise. And uh, You know, we do those kind of improvisational things, and uh, which I always thought were kind of boring, but they were f- ultimately became fun. I think when you finally reach professional theater, or theater in general. The benefit is when you get stuck at a point and you're, you're relaxed enough to be able to improvise. Uh, certainly, it is true with film, one has to be relaxed in order to, to come across, period. And it's true in theater. If you're on stage and you're, you're uh, sometimes you can't get too relaxed. I do go to sleep sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but if, you, if you're on stage and you are relaxed and those moments occur, you don't get uptight, but you, you're you free to, to do what you have to do. Like a judge, uh, and I did have an experience some a few months ago in which we were in a scene, and wow. um <laughs> he has not gotten over with and There was someone taking pictures, and both of us are in the middle of our scene at the very top of the show and It was really bothering me it didn 't bother him because he's, you know he hangs right in there, whatever. And I immediately, as the old man, said, uh, somebody out there is taking pictures. and appreciate it if you just stop because you're disturbing us right now. <laughs> <laughs> and went right back into the scene with Judd. Yeah. Of course, I did it on my line. I <laughs> did <laughs> <laughs> not it on his line. Yeah. <laughs> Judd Jud sort of looked at me with this sort of blank stare and went on with the play. And the person did stop taking pictures and we were able yeah. to proceed. But you. You have character. You, you, you have to stay, stay within yeah. that character and, uh, and yeah. to do that. If you do, it, if you do it with enough authority,
4: the audience will accept it as being part of the show. How do
1: you and get that authority? How did you get By that By
4: having disasters happen to you time after time yeah. after time and being able to, to cover it. Uh,
2: I, no. I, I, think, I think that that question has been answered. You experience. You, you, you experience is it. You learn. You so can't prepare anybody for a series you of disasters that are bound to happen. Yeah. But I think it is the key to legitimate theater as opposed to television or movies, that nothing can be blipped out. You are living human beings on stage, subject <laughs> to every imaginable <laughs> catastrophe. And, and my theory is that that's why theater will always be alive, because mistakes are possible, and the human body is fallible, and the human mind, God knows, is part of
4: and the And that's what's mind. awful about looking at yourself in film. You wish that you had another chance to do it right, you know. <laughs> uh, and you don't get that chance. What the the famous, other thing? What's
5: the famous woman, the gun didn't go off? Wasn't that even some mystery where the gun didn't go? One of, those, one of those, you know, real old mysteries. And fires the gun and nothing happens. And the oh. actor went to, went to such lengths to try to kill this person with anything he could find. <laughs> he found a pen <laughs> and said, Ha, ha, it's, it's got poison, you know. <laughs> In desperation or you, you gotta kill him That's or you point. do
0: uh, i did Hamlet once in which we had a gun and the gun didn't go off and i just went bang <laughs> just kept on everybody just kept on you just yes. do it learn how to make actually those there's sounds. a sense of desperation <laughs> when you have you have no other choice and I think part of it is, as you said, well, I have nothing else to do. They're out there watching me. I'm up here with the other actors. We've, we've got to go on. You can't stop. You can't You just go on. I guess maybe the other part of the question really is yeah. that
5: the audience will excuse you. Maybe that's yeah. maybe oh, that's they, the they, thing I find they out. They will excuse you.
1: Exactly. If
2: you're control.
5: Cleave yeah, up. if you don't fall apart. That's I mean, right. if you know that somehow when something goes wrong, go the audience yourself. will excuse you, that you, you can get through it.
2: Also, if you don't start doing it as a, as a way of life, what happened tragically with Tuluna Bankhead, who had begun as a good actress, is she... She began to hook up everything she did and, and, and improvise and, and, and make a fool of herself on stage because that got laughs, but then, then the audience is a fellow conspirator in this dreadful activity. It's just as the audience should not laugh, as the actors, the actors <coughs> should not do that.
3: Let me say one word for Tallulah, When she did The Streetcar Named Desire, she played it absolutely straight and magnificently and she had to overcome that audience reaction at first but she learned not to pay any attention to them and she went right on and she gave one of the greatest performances I ever saw I must say that for
2: Tallulah You just shed your mic Oh
3: and all those beautiful words were lost (laughs) Well, I wanted to ask Clayton where he attended those classes that you didn't enjoy in the beginning.
0: Uh-oh. Oh, <laughs> well, they go back to San Diego, uh, San Diego oh, State San Diego. College, in San Diego. How
3: did you happen to go
0: there? I was raised in San Diego, so I had yeah. no other choice. <laughs> I couldn't afford to leave
2: there. <laughs> <laughs> Second biggest city in California now, Boomtown. That,
0: Do you that's ever that's go back? Yeah, yeah, it's it a great theater town. Yeah, it's a great theater town. yeah. 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 No, I really, I've had a struggle to get back here. Yeah. And so I don't intend to go back anyplace else. Jack obviously. O'Brien
2: is in town today.
7: Is he? Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. But, they, but they care a lot about theater out there mm-hmm. now. Right. It's now it's the La Playhouse, yeah. too. But yeah, everybody right. who's, nowadays, seemingly, everybody really gets interested in being in the theater very, very young. They, they, they don't stumble upon it as a third or fourth choice because it's almost like ballet dancing. If you're not starting young enough, it's already perhaps too late. In Barney, in your case, how, how young were you? I was 19, and uh, while I had gone
4: to uh, uh, the theatre all my life, because I grew up here in New York, uh, I really hadn't any intention of uh, becoming an actor. But I was very, very highly critical of everything I saw. And uh, uh, w- one day I got a letter, uh, a card, uh, uh, confirming a, 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 rehears- a an audition. I had no idea what this was all about, and I showed it to a dear friend of mine, same my a- as age as I was, and uh, he said, well, you're always shooting off your mouth. It was an audition, an appointment for an audition for the Shakespearean Company, uh, to audition for a part in the play. And he said, well, I th- you're always shooting off your mouth about how easy it is and all that. So I thought I'd uh, answer this ad that I saw in the paper and, and uh, um, uh, signed your name. So I I learned Pope's The Dying Christian to his soul. (laughs) You know, I'm embarrassed even to mention it. And uh, I went and auditioned and got a job. And I've been an actor ever since.
2: And you still remain critical or...?
4: uh... Uh, No, I've (laughs) (laughs) I've gotten much more lenient as the years have gone on. Glenn, where did you
3: start? Did you take classes or...? Yeah, I went
10: to the High School of Performing Arts. Here in New York? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh. And uh, that, that was my first, my first training, and, uh, and then I, I went away to school in Europe, and I studied art history and English, English uh, literature, but I got a scholarship to put on shows, and that gave me some experience, and then I... Where? I, Where was In well, Switzerland. In Switzerland? In English or Swiss? In English. <laughs> in English. And, uh, and then I took some classes at HB here. And then I moved to Chicago. And how did you start in Chicago? I auditioned for the St. Nicholas uh, Ensemble, and I got in. What was the St. Nicholas Ensemble? It was a theater where David Mamet started. Isn't it terrible how nervous an actress can get when she doesn't know her lines?
2: Well, you, you have a relentless interrogator here. You have to remember where you went to school, you have to remember your name. What made you
8: first decide to move to Chicago?
10: I couldn't afford to live here. I, I couldn't afford... I think
8: there's something wrong
1: with these
8: you have to really. Maybe to yeah, get. What can I do up? for
10: you? Talk, it up. You have yours on. Is it? Like Tom yeah. Jones mm-hmm. or something. I, I yeah. couldn't afford to live here, so. It's
7: not very strong.
10: I don't, I don't think it's. Yeah, it's working. Wrong. You got it? Um, <laughs> thanks. How <laughs> <I think
4: that. laughs> nervous actors get. Yeah. Actor. <laughs> <laughs> I always avoid teacups when I act. Thanks, <laughs> uh, <Me
10: too>. yeah.
4: <laughs> Um... <laughs> Is that
10: all right what <laughs> was oh i Can couldn't I afford now? to live here so so i went out there
8: and, did you just pick a city out of the blue you sort of open the map and said,
10: oh. um it wasn't quite out of the blue I, I had a friend who um who i visited there and i thought it was really nice and it was really cheap and these <laughs> um, oh,
7: are good criteria it was nice and yeah. cheap is very chicago, a, a um,
10: chicago that said either apartment for rent in a window, or a sign that said, Help Wanted. And I saw a lot of those signs in Chicago, so I said, Okay, well, that's it. And I thought I would try it for a year, and I stayed for six.
8: You know the most amazing to me um, is that by some kind of stroke of God or something, that all these incredibly talented actresses and actors should sort of be in Chicago at the same time, yeah. at the same place. It's it's so, such a phenomenon.
2: You know was And that's the how these reason? things happen. Yeah. Yeah.
8: Well, it I, seems all the people in, in my theater uh, company
10: are all from Illinois, and they almost all study together. <clears throat> and there are only two people from the outside, uh, outside of Illinois. One's from England, and and me. I don't I don't know how we wound up together. I I saw a show that they did, and I said this, this is, this is incredible, mm-hmm. and and then I like swept when the floors for a while. When did the concept start? Um, it started in 1976.
2: Was mm-hmm. it short? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But what about the Goodman Theatre? How long has that been in existence?
10: A lot longer, because it runs with the Art Institute.
2: Mm-hmm. So that's an old... Yeah, yeah. But it's
10: quite different from the uh,
3: yeah. Steppenwolf. Well, I'm talking about Chicago
2: as a theater town, which it yeah. famously was 100 years ago. Yeah, you? there's well, been a lot of theater in Chicago. There are about 60 theaters there. Yeah,
10: mm-hmm.
2: it's fantastic mm-hmm. as a theater.
3: But, wow. but Steppenwolf is uh, an ensemble playing yeah. theater. That's, yeah. that's why they're so awfully good,
8: because it's that
10: repertory. It's
8: oh, that's my, my question. question.
10: Well, it could i think if I think there's a couple things. one is to really get something like that off the ground um, you You need first of all a lot of time, and I think you have to have an incredible amount of energy because i'm only twenty nine and i'm I'm pretty well worn out compared to the energy I had a few years ago when when we worked at the theater without exaggeration, twelve to fifteen hours a day and also Oh, well, it's so awful. I'm so nervous, I hate this. <laughs> um,
0: You're not alone. Yeah. <laughs> um,
10: um, but, and I think you need to, to be somewhere where you can not worry about your rent. This is a very big thing.
9: <laughs> I think in the past, Chicago always did bring up uh, good actors, but what happened was they, uh, they moved to New York City, uh, or they went to California. Uh, and just for this very specific reason, which Glenn keeps bringing up, which is that New York City is such an expensive proposition these days, for a young actor especially, I think that what happened was uh, groups of actors uh, started staying um, together in Chicago wow. and seeing it as a very viable uh, place to live and grow and, uh, and make theatre. and so where New York sort of struggles to keep its circle reps alive in its uh, Manhattan theatre clubs, uh, a lot of dedicated young people just started building
0: companies to the point where there were 50 small groups of people working together. In all fairness to to, uh, Chicago, I think New York has a number of wonderful actors. I I have a feeling it's people who have certain concepts, and it seems that Chicago breeds uh, certain (coughs) individuals who uh, create concepts such as the uh, what, what 's the uh, theater where uh, all the comedians come out the uh, second, second city, city. <laughs> now i 'm not familiar with the step and wolf I, I always think about a movie or some sort but i don 't know how many people are i 'd like to know a little bit more what that is
10: that 's so, a, a theater company of, of fourteen uh, actors, and we also direct our own shows and we get funding from the government a little bit, but mostly from a private corporation. And we'll celebrate our 10th anniversary this year, and we'll be the only other ensemble besides the group theater in America to last for 10 years. And we put on um, five shows a year and its subscription series.
0: Who started the idea? Who started that idea? Two
10: guys, um, Gary Sinise and Jeff Perry. Actually three, and Terry Kinney. And uh, they thought of it when they were seniors in college and said let's just try this and they got a basement in a church for I think I think it was five dollars or I think it was twenty dollars a year and um, they put in I think 80 seats yeah it was in Highland Park they put in 80 seats and then they just all of a sudden they got all these people to join them from school and they could just put on anything they wanted really and once they were able to do that they became their own bosses and then that was that was the whole key because if you didn't have to wait for someone to give you a job and you could do it yourself that was a green light
2: what about do you have a subscription audience
10: yeah I don't know how many we have this year I it's doubled and tripled and I think it's I think it might be three thousand or thirty five hundred
2: and how big of a theater for, in terms of the audience every night?
10: Well, the past two years we've been sold out.
2: What's the capacity? What are the qualifications? Two,
3: 240. Two 40? 40? Yes. Where did you have to come from? Did you
10: Nowhere. Come? You, you just had to have been seen by people in the ensemble who thought that you were really
1: good. Wonderful company. Yes. <clears throat> did not go through that as a dancer.
6: <laughs> no. Well, my, uh, no, I studied in... Uh, California, and uh, with Wynne Hanman here in New York, and uh, of course with dancing, you just take dancing classes. I, you know, ever since I was a little boy, I took dancing, and it it was more of just you know auditioning for for different parts. I never really went through a repertory company.
2: Where did you learn a certain Scottish play?
6: <laughs> in college, <laughs> yeah. we don't we don't mention the name.
2: <laughs> <laughs> but in in in. In, in terms of your training, what did you do about training? I trained.
5: <laughs> I, got, I
2: didn't know what to do. I wasn't.
5: I wasn't an actor. You know, I was. I was, a, was were, an engineer. You, were you in college? Yeah, but I didn't start in college. What I was. What, what I was looking for was to get out of college somehow. It's a, it's <laughs> one of those dopey moves that one things they're making. <clears throat> so I wandered into the American Academy, and. From there, I wandered into a number of schools <coughs> here in New York. I knew it was New York that I had to be in. Went to the Gene Frankel studio, the Herbert Burkhoff the HB studio, and little by little began to realize what this thing was all about.
2: Where would um, you begun? Where were you born? <laughs> here. No.
6: Here.
5: Here. here.
3: What was your first job, professional?
5: Um, it was a stock company in Estes Park, Colorado, <laughs> which I wow. did all the villains and melodramas, uh, to about four people, I think, <laughs> uh, who were eating.
2: <laughs>
5: I remember, I remember coming out and scaring the fork out of someone's mouth. <laughs> very successful. Opened the cake and said, well, <laughs> drop the food, work that night. <laughs> two people, that was two people. It was a dinner show. <laughs> we sell had a lot of dinners that night. But we did, we did a musical. I directed a play. I directed a 1928 Russian farce called Squaring the Circle, which I have no idea why we did it there. We're talking about about, uh, a a town uh, that people walk through on the way to the Rockies. (laughs) (laughs) We're doing melodramas and we're doing some kind of uh, kangaroo thing outside, you know, we we do shoot-'em-ups outside, and they come in and they saw a 1928 farce about communism. (laughs) (laughs) I chose the play. She, she I, knew what, what I knew what to do every year. <laughs>
0: <laughs> How did you
2: ever hear of Estes Park?
5: <laughs> well, I, I, w- I, was, I was at school, and we did, this, we, we did a lot of scenes from things, and the person that I did a scene with you one time, school. at the HP studio, studio, did a scene in a class that we thought was just about the cat's pajamas. So we said, oh boy, wouldn't we like to do that play? And she said, well, we have a theater that we've broken off from in Estes Park, Colorado, but we're going to make a new one. And we're going to do it in the back of a restaurant. We're going to call it the back room rest, the back room theater. I thought, whoa, what a place to start. Oh. <laughs> sure, bring the Russian farce in, get that done, you know, and then do uh, the, the musicals. We, we we actually made up plays. We had things like that's where that thing happened with the scene, with the scenery. Yeah. We we had. I think, I think what they did was cheat. I think they, they changed the name of plays. It was a very bad thing to do. <laughs> you know, like, we, we, we called a very famous old melodrama uh, Crisis in the Old Sawmill. Now I think it was really something else. We also did Sweeney Todd, The Demon Barber of Fleet Street. And that's how I... The only way I remember Sweeney Todd when it came out as a musical was that yeah. we did it. Cause yeah. the yeah. Red, it's an old English uh, melodrama. Yeah. People came there more or less to walk through town and, and to sort of see a... Um, uh, a, a, what you would call an entertaining show, right? So they were issued into, uh, issued into this back room where, where we'd be holding forth with three days' rehearsal. Yeah. Did you, know? you
3: play? We wrote our
5: lines on the stage. I remember we wrote everything down. <laughs> <laughs> Couldn't remember anything. Did it you direct <laughs> also? I directed one of the plays, yeah. Which one? Squaring the Circle. Squaring the Circle. Well, I admire
3: you for picking that. That's a very good play.
5: Nobody knows about it. I do. <laughs> well, it's, The thing I thought was so wonderful about it was it's the only play I can possibly, I, I think you'll ever find, where the Russians make fun of their own system yes. of communism. Yes, It was done in 28, so mm-hmm. it was, you know. Yeah.
1: It's interesting that we know that a wonderful theatre has come out of Chicago. We've all talked about what's happening there, and yet you said, I knew it was New York. That's where it had to be. Yeah. Why?
5: Well, I was from New York. I didn't know anything was about it. Was that
1: the only reason for it? Because you had
7: roots here? Not that the advantages th- that were here? I think
5: been? New York started me in thinking about the theatre in general, because this is the only place I saw plays was completely taken with the idea of the stage. And if I had seen it in Chicago, I probably, pr- I probably would have thought about New York as even a more opportunist, uh, um, uh, a bigger opportunity.
2: But did you ever um, want to do something like the Steppenwolf
5: Company? I saw the Steppenwolf Company. Company. I'm telling you, it was, it was, I was doing a picture there, and I went to see them do this magnificent piece about Vietnam veterans, what was the name of that? Tracers. Tracers. I was so taken with this company that all I did was stick around after the show and ask everybody, everything that I could possibly ask them. how'd you get together, how long have you been here, how do you work, who does what? At that time they were seven years old.
2: And <laughs> yeah. what about you, yourself, do you, do, would you like to have just such a group as that?
5: I think that's the actual beginning of theatre, in any, any city in, in this country, and probably any country in the world, that is actually how to begin a theatre which is really where we started here, and somehow threads were lost. The Circle Rep is 15 years old. They started in a similar fashion, but not exactly.
1: Uh, to it's back been long. To pick, we're going to come back to pick up those threads, because that's very important, I think, that learning process that you've all talked about, about doing so much and having the opportunity to. But we have to take a break now so don't go away just for a few minutes stretch and then sit right down again so we can read your box we're continuing with the american theater wing seminars on working in the theater these are coming to you from the graduate center of the city university of new york this seminar is on the performance what it is to work in the theater. We have a very talented and a very wonderful array of panelists here. And Gene Dalrymple and Brendan Gill, our co-moderators, will continue discussing with them and with each other what brought them to work in the theater and what is it that they need to have and how much they can share with all of us, the audience. So Brendan, will you take over now?
2: Yes, that sounds if we would keep us here all day. Uh, <laughs> all right. uh, Two sentences. I, I, I think uh, we all have this lively sense of the fact that New York City is the greatest city on earth, and that one wants to make good here, not only in the theatre, but in writing, in painting, in music, uh, in every field. And uh, so, of course, uh, Cleveland felt strongly that he wanted to come to New York, and Judd, beginning in New York, felt he wanted to make good in New York. And what I was going to ask one or two of you about is is the... uh, I can understand how you'll go as far afield, say, as the Long Wharf Theatre in Haven, or go to uh, Hartford, or nearby, and still not lose the sense that one is connected with New York. But there are so many regional theatres all over the United States that we keep hearing praise of. What is it like to be asked to go to the Guthrie, say, or somewhere a long way away, where it might be quite lonely, or you would have lost the sense of contact with New York? Now... Could one or two of you address that question about what it would be like? To I go started
7: on. at the Guthrie as a midnight fellow, and um, we did. I actually did 11 plays in 18 months and did over 20 roles, which means I had very little, little parts. You know, you'd come in as a nun, you'd exit. You'd come in as a boy, you'd exit. You'd come in as a, you know, a goat, and that would be the end of that play. And. Um, it always sounds good, you know, over 20 roles in two seasons, that's because we also did story theater, you know, and we, we played all, you know, like a tubercular chicken, a, a, you know, <laughs> you did all these animals. Uh, it, it was the greatest, that was my training. I mean, I was a philosophy, I concentrated in philosophy at school, I was on my way to law school, and I got this fellowship to go to the Guthrie, and that's where I, uh, as one would say, paid my dues and carried the spears, and I understudied Roberta Maxwell, because we were both a size seven. <laughs> that was the reasoning. I could fit into her clothes. And uh, when Roberta Maxwell left, they got another actress in. They still didn't let me get on the stage, you know. I still with my little spear in Midsummer Night's Dream is Peace Blossom, the first fairy. And uh, 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 that's where I was trained, and it was, it was absolutely great that it was away from New York. Not necessarily that you could make mistakes. It was a big company headed by Michael Langham. He's very British, he was very tough. He was a lot tougher than I found New York when I got here. Mm-hmm. I was floored. And it was very classical and all that stuff. And so I got that training. Whereas at Sarah Lawrence, I was doing Renard the Fox by Stravinsky, you know, with green teeth and blue hair and black face and <laughs> tap dancing. And my mother would come and go, Oh my God, what's going on here, you know? And. Um, so it's a very good balance. in uh, But now,
2: Roberta Maxwell and Len Carey, you both stayed out there for, what, two years? Oh, they
7: stayed out there. The Canadian actors would stay out there for a long time because they were affiliated with Michael Langham and Tyrone Guthrie at Stratford, and they would bring them down to play the leading roles. But
2: would you stay anywhere at this point in your career out of New York for two years?
7: Absolutely, except, no. Well, first of all, I couldn't. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, I, I have a baby and a husband, and, uh, you know, I could stay out of New York and get a divorce in the same season, but oh, I nice. just don't think it's advisable. Um, I, uh, there was interest in me doing a national tour of a play I was dying to do in a fabulous role from here on Broadway. I couldn't. I chose not to take it, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, I don't go to Dallas for three months to do Kiss Me Kate. It's no longer appropriate. Now, to do a mini-series in Europe from Hollywood for 500 million dollars, that's still appropriate. Yeah. That was will sacrifice for and work yeah. out the round-trip <laughs> tickets. But, uh, you know, but, uh, I've had to, um, uh, pass, I, you know, do, whether it's uh, sometimes I spent two very wonderful seasons with Jack O'Brien at San Diego when I lived in Los Angeles and uh, did about seven plays in two years between that and the Amundsen, and that was great. Some but nobody
2: really wants to leave New York for very long.
7: It depends on your situation, it's very appropriate when you're young and untied. I mean also you go on those tours, like we toured the five-state area, went to Iowa, North Dakota, South Dakota, we brought plays to farmers. It was the greatest, but I was 21,
4: mm-hmm.
7: and had, you know, <coughs> no ties. Times change. <laughs> or you have traveled as a couple, maybe. How much time Barney. did you spend out of New York,
4: ever? I spent, up until about 1960, I spent all my life out of New York.
7: Mm-hmm.
4: I, uh, Milton Goldman, uh, my agent, uh, has been my agent for nearly 40 years, uh, saw me in an ELT play. Uh, the father and the heirs, and uh, Major Gioffalo in uh, Belfredano, And uh, he advised me that the sort of parts I was going to play, I was much too young to play them. Uh, I stopped being an eccentric juvenile and immediately became a, became a uh, character man. So I went out of New York and very happily for uh, uh, eight years in uh, with a uh, company in Chicago, and then we'd play the winters in, in uh, Palm Springs. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. my wife was in the company, so it wasn't that tear. But uh, uh, eventually, uh, Milton thought it was time for me to come into New York, mm-hmm. and I did. Mm-hmm. And almost immediately, I started to work. Yeah.
3: <clears throat> yeah. I'd like to hear from Elizabeth. She said very little mm-hmm. so far. <clears throat> Tell
8: us about your well, background. I'm very interested. Um, this, the turn this conversation is taken because as Glenn says it's so difficult to live in New York City unless by some fluke you happen to get a job at one point that gets you money to kind of finance yourself there's just no support for an, an actor or an actress who wants to make their living in the theater and so one you know thinks well what's the alternative and it seems that going out into the regions and doing good work out there is the only alternative and, and, it, and it also seems that that's becoming a thing to do that is not necessarily only training for you to come into New York, that that in and of itself is it's a, a worthwhile investment of energy that actually good work and beautiful productions happen. I think that's, you know, that's exciting
2: to me. But the lure still remains to come here. What about you, Don?
6: Uh, I, I still think the idea, of if you can make it in New York, that's the your, the theater mecca, mm-hmm. I mean, if you can, but I, there is also, like,
2: But, but you walked um, past Estes Park all the way to California, or you were not <laughs> <to laughs> No, I, was brought, I, I was
6: brought up in San Jose, California, and worked in the, in the San Francisco area, then I was in an acrobatic act in Las Vegas for two years, I mean, oh. I've done, there's been a lot of things, I went to Los Angeles, was there for eight years before I came to New York, mm-hmm. and uh, you get sidetracked, I mean, it's where the work is, I mean, I was I started doing some TV things, and TV things kept coming in, you know, and uh, and finally I said, that's enough. I mean, I I really love theatre, musical comedy, and uh, that's when I met Sandy, and we both decided to come back to New York, because she was originally from New York. What
1: was your first Broadway show? Uh,
6: I did a chorus line. Actually uh, I was in uh, Los Angeles, and a friend of mine, Charlene Painter, uh, married to Walter Painter, who's a choreographer in Los Angeles was assisting Michael on the auditions for A Chorus Line in Los Angeles. I was in Las Vegas working with, uh, I think it was Shirley MacLaine, and Michael was going to Las Vegas to audition for A Chorus Line. Charlene couldn't make it, and so she recommended that I assist Michael. And uh, the day of the audition, I I kind of walked in, I didn't really know who Michael Bennett was, and I sat down for the first hour talking to Bob Avian, thinking that he was Michael Bennett. (laughs) (laughs) You know, they had the people coming in to do the Chinees and, uh, and the, the, the double pirouettes, I mean, and, uh, and the next day, during the uh, dance auditions, I was in front, I learned the audition piece, and <coughs> at the end of the day, Michael asked me to do one of the roles, and it was like, uh, you know, it was, it was exciting, because it, it brings those, uh, those the things, the timing was just right, yeah. and so I decided to come to New York, and, and,
1: how long were you in chorus line?
6: Uh, I did the original national company, which was a year on the road, mm-hmm. and uh, and then I, when I came to New York, I, I went back into the show for a while, which was a good way. I mean, it was great because you come back into New York when you move to New York, you come in with a job, and it, you bring agents to come and see you and, and that type of thing.
3: Did and Gilead bring you back? I've lost my voice. Bring that
1: to
10: the <coughs> <coughs> show. No, I want to ask her. <laughs> <laughs> Um, after? And, no, the first show that I did here was um, Extremities. I replaced oh. someone who left shortly after it opened. Did you speak up? Oh, sorry. And uh, I did Extremities, and, and then I got cast um, as Celia in The Philanthropist at the Manhattan Theater Club. And then I did Balm and Gilead. <coughs> you,
1: what is your role here? Yes. You're casting well. right, your casting agent.
9: A, a casting director, it's sort of... Uh, I used to say when I first went into it that it was a, uh, a new area in the theater because I, I started in casting uh, about 13 years ago in New York. And at that point, it was like 1970, 1972, and really independent casting directors really started uh, coming up in the, in the theater in New York uh, probably... Uh, in the very late 60s. Before that, production stage managers basically uh, cast shows with directors and um, and totally through agents and of course the equity required calls. And in in that the independent casting director came about, it really I think surfaced because um, when producers like David Merrick uh, in the 60s were uh, doing eight shows a year and uh, possibly uh, five national companies. They had in-house casting directors and I think what finally happened is as uh, those producers produced less and less every year those people who had been trained as casting directors in those offices went out and opened independent offices and uh, that's basically how it how it came to But You
2: also get a good deal of work through television, don't you? That's where so many young actors are are constantly being placed and doing so much work and i feel embarrassed by the fact for example that since i rarely look at television uh people whom i see on the stage are are brand new to me whereas my children or grandchildren know perfectly well who these people are they've seen them (laughs) scores of times but the casting directors are, are critical to the advertising agencies and all the other kinds of In that case, it's hundreds of opportunities in the course of a year, thousands that never existed before. Sure. But now, in your role, you must have occasions when somebody is wanted at the Guthrie or in Florida or wherever, and you say, boy, have I got a part for you. And then what do you do about persuading somebody to leave New York? Uh,
9: it's very, very difficult, actually. Uh, I think that there's a, a real love-hate relationship uh, between uh, performers now and uh, and going and committing time at regional theaters, and especially for especially for established actors like the ones I'm sitting with, uh, it's a perfect perfect training ground for young actors straight out of their training programs and colleges or whatever, uh, or or for that matter for young character actors like like Barney was, um, who came to New York exactly when he should have. Um, <coughs> It's difficult because even though (coughs) it seems on the surface that there isn't a lot of product out there, because uh, especially with television now and the movie of the week form and the long form of television, the miniseries, actors can stay in New York, uh, do some theater, do short commitments at at Circle or Manhattan Theatre Club or the Roundabout, and uh, keep themselves fairly available to go and do a movie of the week or a mini-series, which is so phenomenally lucrative, unfortunately it, uh, uh, it lures it lures performers as it should.
1: But don't you deal mostly with the, the star type performer, don't you recommend the person who's already established to the agent, to the Milton Goldman for the show or the television? What about the young person who is starting, needs an agent? They have nothing to do with you, with the casting well, agent. Well actually
9: they do actually they? they really do. Okay. Uh, a lot of the shows that we've worked on have, have had very very young casts and uh, Greece, which we which we worked on for about five years and did several companies of it. Just countless, countless open calls and, and non-equity calls and uh, I remember in the in the first office that I worked in uh, on Greece, we actually had uh, something called the Greece Phone which I uh, in my early <laughs> years, manned, every every Friday for three hours, from like three to six, I would sit by the grease phone, which, grease phone, which would ring off the wall constantly with actors responding to an ad in the paper, and I would assign them a time for an audition, and then every other Tuesday we would have basically a big non-equity call. And kids came to audition for grease on, on bets from Westchester, so they'd go to a party, and. <laughs> and uh, a, kid, a kid came in, uh, and I, I knew, the second he auditioned, I said, he'll be Kanicki within, uh, which was one of the characters in Greece. I said, he'll be a Kanicki within, within weeks, which he was. I said, how did you come here? You have no credits. You, you have nothing. You don't have a resume. He said, uh, I, came, I came on a bet. I went to a party the other night, and they said, oh, Greece has these open calls all the time. You're perfect for the show. Why don't you go in and sing an old 50s rock song? And uh, today he's writing. Uh, writing a uh, television series. So <laughs> I mean, I he was, a and he was pre-med.
8: You were by, I have a question.
9: Please.
8: I, I, I'm asking this because my sister is starting to assist at TCG, which is a casting. And I wonder, as a casting director, does it get you depressed to be in a position where you're rejecting so many desperate <laughs> people <laughs> all day long? Because she was telling me last night, she said it's so depressing to come home and, and kind of um superficially be kind of friendly to all these people that you're going to say no to and they're so desperate does it get to you
9: (laughs) no it doesn't strangely (laughs) enough elizabeth i mean i
8: wonder how you deal with it just for her
9: it really it really doesn't depress me i have a very very positive outlook on life in general and on the theater i love the theater i love performers i love going to the theater i I constantly would say to myself, when, when would it be time for you not to be in the theater anymore? And it, I, I say back to myself, when you don't want to sit in the theater uh, uh, four or five times a, a week or go into a basement or a loft somewhere in, in Soho or or wherever. And uh, I think that what you have to do as a casting director, a good casting director, is have a gigantic sort of generosity of spirit that goes yeah. back to the actors and then they give it back to you yeah. and it creates a a terrific kind of give and take, an and a lot of respect. That.
8: It's so it's so wonderful to go into an office where you have a casting director who's going to kind of share that generosity with you. Yeah, I'm <laughs> always
2: in speaking of open calls. i always marvel at the fact that it's, if you see that in, in variety, and they say that this is, that the part is available, forty uh, seven year old man, short, squat, bald, when on cheek. You know, <laughs> <horrible> <laughs> and know, always horrible sounding. Hundreds of people turned <laughs> out and like, that's me,
9: that's me! Right. You, you haven't lived till you've been to one. How <laughs> <laughs> no, really
1: about for Rappaport, whose idea was that? Judd
0: Hirsch. <laughs> 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 casting director? Boy, casting director. No, no, I'm just kidding. I, well, in terms of myself, uh, the, uh, there was, two or three years ago, there was a reading for the play at Manhattan Theatre Club, and Judd had recommended me to come to the reading. Originally Judd actually uh, read the role, we both read it, and time went on and uh, neither one of us were expecting to do it. Um, About a year and a half ago, I moved back to New York and called Judd on the phone, just as a friendly conversation. My agent in LA called and said I wanted to talk. I said, hold on, Uh, and I went back and talked to the agent The agent said, uh, they want you to read, uh, do another reading at uh, Circle Rep uh, with I'm Not Rappaport. I said, I don't want to read that play. I, I love the part, too. I'll never get a chance to do it. I don't want to do it. He said, okay, fine. Hang up. I go back to Judd. I said, Judd, they're talking about reading for I'm Not Rappaport. He said, I thought that's what you called me about. I said, no, I don't want to do it. No, no, no. He said, come on. I said, no, no, no. So we said, bye. And uh, <laughs>
6: About
0: 10 minutes later, Herb Gardner called, and Herb, in his uh, kind of slow way, says, Oh, come on, Clevon. Just read this one. Time. Okay, I'll read. And that's how it, it sort of started that we had the second reading. And of course, a number of circumstances occurred throughout uh, the saga of the play. Judd was not to do it. And I did it with uh, Harold Gould in uh, Seattle. And I was supposed to do it with another actor who ended up not doing it. And so we threw it into Judd's lap. And he. That uh, was up fourth replacement,
5: it.
0: yes. <laughs> So, that, in a sense, the casting of those two characters came out of that, that See, Yeah, but it's interesting, because what we really
5: were doing were, was serving an author and a play that neither one of us thought we were either right for or would be, would be asked to play. So, what we were doing, since we both, both knew her, and uh, this is what I was really trying to get to before, that the theater has to be about how you nurture a writer and how you and how you nurture a production regardless of whether you're going to be in it or not and if you believe in it if you think that it's something and of course if you if you think that there's a a chance for you then you do it but it's just as exciting to see a production take place that you knew you were not going to do because you believed in the author so what I was what we were really doing was what we were really reading the parts as if somebody like us older than us would play them give them the idea about what it sounded like and then they would say well what we really need here are two nice 81 year old people right (laughs) find them (laughs) (laughs) there was no secret i mean (laughs) but i mean that's that's one of the things you do uh the other thing you do i think is um to to pick up where i left off before about the companies that come up in New York is only one place. New York does have a tremendous amount of companies that actually stu- gave birth here and in a way somehow uh, died here as well and continued to give birth to these. That must be about 200 companies here in New York that most of us haven't even heard about. I think that, the, that theater is always born in those places, which, which means that in Chicago, when the group realized that it had something... To do on its own, that it directed its own plays, that it chose its own plays, that it did plays that the company can do well, there's no
0: reason for the company to to end as a company in Chicago and move anywhere. You know? Well, also Chicago, I I suspect, has a a great support system of theatergoers Uh, as New York. I I must admit, one of the major reasons that I had to move back... uh, for a lot of reasons, it's because people do support the theater, no matter where you where you are. Uh, Los Angeles, uh, God bless it, has I've never felt had a great support system. Maybe because of television films or what have you, it has a lot of little theater going on. But I just have never felt that it had a good support system in back. Uh, Seattle. It's got people been. like Vinnie coming out and watching the plays and getting them back for TV, I know. <laughs> but Seattle
2: is a great theatre. So <laughs> that,
0: yeah, yeah, that's where we really started uh, uh, Ravenport, and it had a wonderful theatre. Yeah. it yeah. have yeah. five
2: equity-approved uh, right. companies
0: yeah. in Washington At 98% capacity, too.
1: Yeah. Mm. I Just have to one. interrupt <laughs> again. We have a lot of questions that will be directed towards you, a, and uh, hopefully some of the things that I was going to ask you will be said, from the people that are, are lining up to ask them now.
2: Isabel is a teacher at heart, and she's very disappointed in uh, Jean and me whenever we fail to ask the proper <laughs> teacher. <laughs> I always want to know where you
1: totally how it all started. I and mean. we
2: think we're perfect.
1: Yeah. Right. Now, <laughs> would we're you right. start your question, and please make them as brief as possible. If they've already been answered, let somebody else ask another question. Now,
3: Isabel.
8: I was wondering, what role, if you've not yet had a chance to play, would you most like to do? That's a good question. It's not, as a matter of fact, I don't think too much about uh, that sort of thing, except I know I'd love to play, there's a, there's a roles in Shakespeare, Juliet, I'd love to play, or, or As You Like It, Rosalind. Uh, those are the two that spring to mind first. Thank you yes oh yes I'd like to ask uh, Glenn Headley this question
1: or anyone who has the
8: answer uh, what do you think the secret is to getting artists to stay in a regional area in order to form a strong theater company I'm, I'm the artistic director of a theater in Dallas Texas <laughs> and uh, most of the, the serious actors went off to New York and I just I wanted to build a strong regional theater
10: um, I think they have to feel that they have the opportunity to do a lot of what they want to do because if they don't feel that they're getting to do some things that they want to do um, then they'll they'll go off somewhere in the hopes of finding it you know elsewhere.
8: you mean more of a group thing?
10: no I mean you know if there's if they want to play roles that are really different from things they would ordinarily be considered for um, it would be it would be good to let them have a chance to do that and To feel that they were really able to express themselves the way they wanted to um, because then they won't want to leave that kind of freedom because that's very hard to come across but you can always hope it's on the horizon if you don't have it now but if you have it now then your your chances of leaving I think
8: are less likely
9: also I mean you're bound to you're bound to lose performers people who uh, have been in the kind of bucolic setting of uh, Of a regional theater for a while who decide that they want to go to an urban setting and uh that their ambition sort of demands that and so it's very much up to you to keep replenishing and nurturing your company with new people which will only help in in a lot of ways and the people who you lose will talk about your company and how good it is and you'll get people to go out
10: oh could i say one more thing i think too see i think it's we at steppenwolf we play a lot of guilt uh trips or whatever you want to call it on each other very (laughs) extreme ones like i'll never speak to you again if you leave and it sounds (laughs) it it sounds kind of awful and in some ways it it is terribly unfair but in other ways you see i think adding people uh is very dangerous because what happens is you can't give roles to everybody so when you keep it small that means that if you have 10 actors those 10 actors are bound to be in at least one show if not two or three if you're talking about 20 or 30 obviously some of them are not going to be able to do anything and and when you bring in new people although there's some good things about it if you don't have a foundation first with some people um, it it gets very wishy-washy and no one feels a pull and no one feels that they're really needed to they're not bricks you know what I mean and I think you have to have bricks to go if, you understand? Is that yeah, too yeah. vague? Yeah.
8: Uh, yep. to very keep it, very good. To keep it together. Excellent. Mm-hmm. And also the privilege of really knowing the people you're working with. That's what mm-hmm. frustrates me about New York theater is that four weeks of rehearsal, you, you know people in a superficial way, but, but to work with somebody over and over again and really know them is, mm-hmm. is, is where the really fascinating, mm-hmm. interesting
4: thing yeah. happens. Yes. Yeah. I wanted to address this to the panel, but they said just one. So I said, Judd Hirsch, how do you prepare a role? <laughs> <laughs> <No>. <laughs> just Don't like that. <laughs>
5: you do a lot of thinking, <laughs> a lot of questions. I don't know. I guess it depends on the role. But, the, the, I mean, for instance, to do something that you have to do which has, uh, let's say, a total physical difference in you, you have to actually go out and find out how to do that, I mean, by observation or something you want to do on yourself. Preparing a role, I think, is really getting yourself in, in, in shape to do one, to do any, to do... And, and it really depends on the role. really does. Uh, if, I mean, if you can get yourself in the best physical state that you're in, best what? You cannot come tired that's a number one you cannot expect to do anything else i think that's number two you can't really be distracted too much Uh, especially if you're playing a large role Um, and you shouldn't eat very much (laughs) 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 but what you should do really is uh just about just about delve into the whole play as much as possible and i i don't i don't really go for people who go who go and and uh, work up their roles aside from the play you know i find that that they're, they're brought in they bring themselves in i've been in, a, been in a few shows where an actor i was playing with for the entire run of the play and had a large part was rehearsing in a corner by himself and at home and brought in the, <laughs> and brought in the performance so there's something wrong with that so i think the I preparation think really comes yeah, in the I, reverse i think it would
1: be if you went around quickly to the panelists and each one give us a little capsule of what you how you
6: would answer that question
1: i just yeah, he that's answered it all right yeah. Done.
6: it's pretty much what Judd said i mean you really uh, all your thoughts and 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 time are consumed by making yourself uh developing your uh yourself into this person or uh and actually finding things in yourself that are like uh, you can bring out i think being honest uh, and making it uh, honest to yourself is important, also.
10: Um, I think I, I read everything that the other characters say about that person I'm playing a lot, and um, and I I kind of do a I follow the line of the play, the arc of the play, and try to figure out why they say this then and what they're thinking about later, and I um, I read up on the playwrights' feelings about the, the play or that character?
4: Well, it all depends on the playwright. Uh, 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 some uh, uh, playwrights write a play so completely that you never have to go outside the play to find out the motivation for the character you're playing. Other, other uh, uh, writers leave great big uh, black holes in the play that you have to make a transition through that murky period that there isn't really... That the playwright hasn't really done his work uh, for the uh, uh, O'Neill and Iceman that it was just laid out right there anytime you had a doubt about it you didn't have to go outside the play to find the motivation for it, it was there uh, so it was total and complete and it was a delight to work on tell,
3: tell, tell well, us about Yentl I think that's uh, one of the most fascinating roles you play well
7: to prepare Yentl I actually uh, I got a Rebbe from borough park a religious guy may he rest in peace he's dead it's probably because he helped me with this thing but (laughs) and he dressed me in his son's clothes and his wife's very short title wife's very short wig and snuck me into a yeshiva with him and I remember because i wore gloves and i promised him i wouldn't touch any of the boys because it was against the jewish law and you, you know here we were committing a sacrilege just like in the play just like in the play <laughs> <laughs> and i was nervous right? sitting there like this and everybody's going like this and i'm going like this and i had to look orthodox but not hasidic because i don't speak Yiddish and i speak very little hebrew so i had to look like a jew that spoke english you know so that people wouldn't come up to me and say i don't know blech, monster or something or something and I just, so that's how I prepared for that, was mostly through observation. And then, uh, same thing with Springtime for Henry. My character was such an extreme physical type that for the physicality of it, I watched the topper movies. I got myself immersed in the period. And I would bring in the physical body of the person, like you, you worked on the 81-year-old man. But then you get into rehearsals, and it's like basketball. You've got to shoot the lines with the players, and if you're, or if you're playing tennis. The person you're batting the ball across the net with is the person you got. So you better play with him, or you're cooked. And uh, that's it. The last thing I have to say is, my brother's a director, and the better he got, the less work he did at home. <coughs> you know, I remember when we were little in Minnesota, he was directing at the Guthrie. He was 27 years old. He'd sit there with cups and toothpicks, and he'd say, "Okay, now this actor over here, and this act. And as he got better at directing, he used to just come in and hack around with the actors and bring mm-hmm. the play Oh, let me ball. just, me you just like do do it?
5: It. one thing. one thing because you, you just hit it. If, if you do a part. The, the worst, I think, the best thing you can do is to think it as a one-and-one-time-only person, so that if you're playing, you know, a uh, cop or a, a rabbi or a, a you know a guy on the street, you really can't think of him as anything but a very special individual, the one you got, because the stage doesn't have any really room for doesn't have any room for ordinary people, and none of us are. I mean, <laughs> anybody. So you really see. So the worst thing that happens to you is if somebody comes up and says, Well, a guy like that wouldn't do that. You say, This one
0: does. <laughs> yeah.
3: see. Cleveland how do you make yourself into a perfect 81-year-old man? Because you really look it on the stage. Well, I,
0: was just gonna, I think I'm just going to give three points that uh, I do in terms of preparing a role, which includes that. There's three things. One is I stop drinking. Uh, <laughs> two is I become celibate and three is i eat a lot (laughs) (laughs) and and the basis of all of that is it's real personal to the individual actor uh uh, in general i believe in observation which i've done ever since i started at 18 of observing behavior and everything so in a sense my father who is 80 now i've always observed the senior citizen and so externally that was easy to to come to
8: you know what seems to be very important about what Jed and Cleveland say that I think is, that i found to be the key, is is nothing more complicated than just make, putting yourself in a position where you are open to have what needs to be done in terms of the play done through you. That sometimes when you go after something with a lot of gusto, you know, to observe or to look or to find something out, you actually don't see it, what, what it is that you need and what you're looking for. But if you put yourself in a position where you're just... Kind of cleaning yourself out like he says he doesn't drink or you put yourself in a kind of a, a pure and simple place then you'll be amazed what flows through you that that you would never even think of were you kind of trying well, i i,
9: I expected i as corny as it sounds that for for performers to sort of take all of their life experience and uh put it put it through and in, in terms of uh in terms of making each new role and i get sort of angry sometimes with actors excuse me um, when they i say well what are you doing what are you doing with your time you're not working right now and you haven't for a little while what are you doing to occupy yourself well i'm bitching and i'm moaning and i and i'm and i'm and i'm angry and i'm bitter and it's not happening for me and i said well we well, stop grouching around read a good i said book. read yeah. a book you're living in a city that has some of the greatest art museums in the world some of the most wonderful parks, the best zoo, the best botanical garden, uh, there's a philharmonic, there's – listen to wonderful music, go buy a compact disc and, and stop yeah. uh, moaning.
7: Good. I think, I think that's a life.
1: really <laughs> awfully good question that, that sparked this discussion. We'll go on with the next one now, and let's hope we can do it again.
3: Uh, my name is Ruby Payne, and
7: I wanted to ask Barnard Hughes, how do you deal with nerves before going on stage? We were just
4: talking about that. Uh, uh, I uh, I had a, a very a twitchy uh, leg uh, uh, when I started, and th- th- I could never <laughs> control this leg at all. <laughs> and I noticed over the years that the leg has uh, uh, quieted down. <laughs> But this pinky has gotten mad
8: <laughs> and uh,
4: <laughs> and on early in the early in the run of play opening nights and things like that why well, i just have to uh, uh, cover it because it goes absolutely
5: <laughs> berserk. berserk yes thank you
1: thank you next <laughs>
10: my direction is to glenn hedley and i was wondering how you feel the theater in chicago and the theater in new york differ as from an actor's standpoint and from a theatergoer's standpoint? Um, well, it's, it's a little hard to answer that because, because um, Steppenwolf, the theater I'm, that I work with in Chicago, is not really like other theaters. So, um, But I'd say one thing is that I think the audiences in New York are really terrific. They are better than, than they are in Chicago. Um, when I said earlier that we were sold out for the past two years, that's only because some of us had some success here. And a lot of people in Chicago heard about it, and they said, well, now we'll go. For a long <laughs> time, you know, we've performed before very few people. Um, I think that the audiences in Chicago are more conservative. Um, True West got some laughs in Chicago, but it got real response here that we just had no idea about. And... Um, I think that you can do you can do odder things here because people are are ready for it they're not going to be turned off by that. I think it's more expensive here I think that um that there seem to be a lot more uh union problems here i don't know why that is but but there but there are and uh I think that at least at Steppenwolf, people are very aware of the tech of a show. And so we're very, you know, if something goes wrong, we just go, okay, fine. But they don't have it together. Whereas here, I think my experience has been that the actors get really nervous when something technically gets screwed up. And I think that's because I don't blame them. I think it's because they don't know what their next job is. This is, this is it for a while. At, in Chicago, I, I'm fortunate enough to say, well... I have another job in two months or three months or whenever I choose here. Um, I don't think that happens, so every show is really, really important to an actor, and I think it makes them a little more
1: nervous. Thank, thank you very thank you. much. We have time for just one more question. Will you make it three? Three?
0: Yes, I will. Thank you. <laughs> I am one of the new actors that was encouraged to move into the New York City area, and this question is directed to Vinnie Liff. What advice would you give a new actor or actress? Who has experience entering the new york city market
9: who does have experience Yes. well believe it or not i do think that it's very very important to do some work and and get seen through doing that work and whether it's uh, a small workshop or a showcase uh, presentation or uh, one of these newfangled scene nights that have been developed all of that is really worth it. There are a lot of casting directors out there, not only ones that work in the theater, but there's the whole range of commercial casting directors, the whole other world of, of casting directors who basically only do feature films and don't work in the theater. Uh, there are all the network television casting people, the daytime television casting people, and casting directors are are really, as a, as a lot, very responsible about going to the theater constantly um we have to to you know not only keep seeing new new performers like yourself but also develop our taste in terms of each actor who we see over and over again i have to
1: interrupt you i'm sorry after this is what i do all the time and i i i, I find myself saying at three phrases i'm sorry i have to interrupt you I'm terribly grateful for you coming. <laughs> the American Theatre Wing is eternally grateful to all the people that contribute to us, that help us help the theatre. We, we, we are constantly saying, go to the theatre and go to see quality in the theatre. And for those people that work in the theatre, we want to develop an audience that believes in quality, and that's what the American Theatre Wing is about. That plus our all-year programs. These programs that say theater to shut-ins and hospitals, they came about through people at the American Theatre Wing School who honed their trade. They went to school and then they went out and they passed on what they had learned in school to veterans' hospitals. We do that today. We continue to do that with Broadway and Off-Broadway performances and performers. Uh, our Saturday Theatre for program continues again in establishing audiences for the future. Well-qualified and wonderfully bright young people want to go to the theater and will continue to go to the theater. The people that are on today's seminars, I can't say enough thank yous and there isn't enough time for us to have you. As Judd at the very beginning of this said that question, I'd be here all day long. I wish you were here all day long, but from the American Theatre Wing, working in the seminars which is coming to you from the Graduate Center of the City University of New York thank you very much for watching this seminar on the performance Thank thank you